0: Good afternoon. I'm Evan Smith. I'm the CEO of the Texas Tribune. And joining me this afternoon for one of our last panels of day two of the Tribune Festival is Mike Morath, the Texas Education Commissioner. In that capacity, Mr. Morath heads the Texas Education Agency, which oversees pre-kindergarten through high school education for more than 5 million students in both traditional public schools and charter schools. Texas is second only to California in its number of public school You know how we hate to finish second to California at anything. We do have more students in
1: rural schools than every other state in the union.
0: Well, that's good. Then we've at least beat California on that. That's good. So get to work on that California problem, Commissioner, please. This is, as ever, a big state, and therefore this is a big and important job. Commissioner Morath called a lanky, bespectacled tech geek just this week by the Houston Chronicle, although I'm sure they meant it as a compliment,
1: You can't find fault with that. I had to go back
0: and look at guys like, (laughs) did they really just write them, really? Um, Was appointed by Governor Greg Abbott in late 2015 after serving for more than four years as an elected member of the Dallas Independent School District Board of Trustees. During that time, he also ran a small investments business. Raised in Garland, he has an undergraduate degree from George Washington University. Please join me in welcoming Commissioner Mike Moranth. Commissioner, thank you very much for being here.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. Um, as we were talking before uh, uh, we came out here, I believe we were having this conversation. Harvey has changed everything in Texas, has it not? Yes. Every conversation we're having at this event is a conversation about Harvey. Whether it's public education, higher education, transportation, there was before Harvey, and there is after Harvey. Everything that happened in the session is now irrelevant in es- in essence to Harvey. Every budget that uh, a decision we made is irrelevant in essence because of Harvey. The impact on public education has been particularly pronounced, has it not?
1: Roughly one in four students, about a million um, for uh, roughly, are are students who are enrolled in districts that were affected by the storm, obviously from Corpus Christi all the way to Port Arthur. Huge um, uh, population centers, huge number of schools.
0: And it's 60, I'm thinking 60 counties are in the disaster proclamation as of this way. I think the governor added a couple. Mm-hmm. And as you say, one more than 1.4 million enrolled public school students uh, impacted. Uh, I read uh, that you all have made uh, the decision, I gather, that the lieutenant governor put this out there as a, a policy proposal that you embrace, that you would support holding funding levels at current uh, funding at current levels. Pardon me for school districts losing students due to Harvey. You think that's a good idea?
1: Yeah. For uh, for enrollment, we pay based upon the presence of students. And right. So from Harvey, we've seen uh, you know a number of students leave a district. Um, uh, it, we, we don't know as whether that's temporary or not. But if the fund, if the student leaves the funding, that, uh, or if the student leaves the district, then the funding leaves the district. And um, it's our intent to. Um, uh, do what we can to um, hold districts harmless. What we don't know is to what degree yet and and with what um, yeah. formula. We're within about two weeks right. from, I think, making that decision.
0: B- about two weeks. Yeah. And then, of course, the flip side of that is you have districts that are losing students. You're not going to penalize them, but the school systems or districts that are gaining place, students, there's also a proposal on the table to increase funding for actually,
1: those districts. So they already would get additional funding as anyway. students um, show up. What happens from a cash flow perspective, though, they don't get it until the end of the year. So we have actually already accelerated payments to those
0: districts. Effectively advanced on what they were going to get. That's right. Uh, anyway. So that's already happened. So th- those two decisions seem, to my mind, in the spirit of the response to Harvey, which has been incredibly compassionate, incredibly apolitical, everybody helping everybody, that's what the government does. Why are you not showing the same, in the minds of some, compassion on the star test? Why are you not showing the same compassion on the school accountability ratings? Honestly, it seems cruel to ask those schools and those districts to bear up under the weight of Harvey and to not see forgiveness on the star test or the accountability ratings. Can you explain that?
1: Well, I think actually what's important to say is that we haven't actually made any of these decisions. So
0: you're not saying that's off the table. My understanding was that that was where you were as of now. You're, you may change that position.
1: Yeah, we, we have not made adjustments yet um, to either assessment or accountability related policies. The the first battery of assessments generally comes in March, and then again in May. We, right. we've got several months before that would unfold. Um, undoubtedly, we'll will, we'll will be making um, several decisions related to that. Um, it's uh, right now our first priorities. You know, we've got a lot of families that are still trying to find their schools. Um, we've got right. um, schools that are trying to open. Um, Huge amounts of damage. I was in Victoria on um, Thursday surveying um, schools, an entire wing of an elementary school, the um, uh, Aloe Elementary Gators, a pretty well-named mascot, the Aloe -Gators. Gators. Um, uh, the, but they, they lost an entire wing um, of their school so I'm you know, meeting with um, staff and students at that school that are you know, clearly affected right. so when you think about this, the triage of decisions that need to be made the triage of, of actions that need to be taken so you've pushed the just, other
0: decisions back a little yeah, bit to some of the yet. more immediate stuff which is well, that's good to hear Actually. so tell me what you know about the percentage of the schools in the affected areas that have yet to open
1: um, there are only a few school districts um, that are still under some delay. There's a staggered um, start date in um, HISD for a few of their campuses, right. Sheldon ISD um, uh, in, the, in the general Houston area. In the Corpus area, we've got three districts um, where every single facility in the district was damaged very severely. I was in Corpus looking at that damage um, on Wednesday. Um, uh, and so those schools are likely to open by, the, uh, by October 16th. Um, right. Um, and all the other schools have opened. In, a, in the greater Victoria area, all the schools have opened. And in the, um, sort of general Beaumont area, um, uh, the, there's a, still a few um, uh, districts that are looking at staggered starts. Um, there's, there's a distinction made between districts and campuses. Okay. Um, if, if you're, uh, say, a one-campus district and your campus was wiped out, your district's wiped out. If you're a 50-campus district, you could have lost a campus, but you might have room in other locations. To reall- students,
0: reallocate students. That's re- right. And so
1: right. you have a number of schools that are going to be out for quite some time. They've right. a, 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 um, uh, we think there's a few schools that are going to have to be completely torn down and rebuilt. Um, and then there's a number of schools where a wing is damaged. There's yep. very significant remediation. so years, uh, a year's right. construction project. Th-
0: there's no plan, Commissioner, for this, is there? There's no way to have predicted the level of damage, the magnitude of the devastation. So there was no TEA in case of emergency break glass plan, right? Uh, So
1: nothing the size of Harvey has ever happened before. Right. Um, We have been faced with hurricanes before, uh, most recently in Texas, Ike. Um, And so there were a variety of um, dispensations made to districts then um, that we were able to sort of dust off the playbooks um, and execute quickly a bunch of grant deadlines extended, these sorts right. of things. Um, but, uh, you know, for example, we never had a situation where whole districts were essentially shut down, um, entire districts, for extended right. periods of time. So we set up a hotline for parents because normally parents are going to call their districts to, um, uh, to, you know, get, deal with enrollment decisions, figure out where they're going to go. But there's nobody but there to answer the phone. There's right. nobody there to answer the phone. So we set up a parent hotline for the first time and, and man yeah. that um, seven days a week, um, and getting phone calls from all over the states on that. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole bunch of new, new decisions, new actions um, that we um, needed to make. And then the level of support that's needed is, is higher. You think about the construction needs that you have in both homes that have been uh, destroyed and then public infrastructure that's been significantly affected. Um, uh, if you just need to work on Galveston, for example, because of Ike and the sort of narrow area around there, um, it, you have more resources inside the state to devote to that. In this case, we're, we have to identify resources in every village and every hamlet in the state to flood the zone from Corpus to Port Arthur, whether right. that... You know, whether that's uh, – they had an immediate shortage in bus drivers because many bus drivers lost their homes and an immediate increase in need for busing because parents have lost their home and they're scattered to the wind. Um, you, had, uh, you
0: had one – I think – did my colleague, Brandon, inform report? I hope I'm remembering this right. One in seven cars – I mean, you, I think in the
1: Houston area. In the Houston
0: area, yeah. area was lost in this storm.
1: Yeah, so we've I mean, seen a significant increase in, in busing. People seeing,
0: having a difficult time just getting their kids, assuming the school's open, assuming they didn't lose everything and that they can keep their wits about them. They want to get their kid to school. Now suddenly they have no vehicle.
1: Yeah, and so right? you think of the other needs. So we know from, again, prior um, hurricanes, both in the, in the state and, say, Katrina, the need for counseling supports for students is going to skyrocket. And not just right. students, but some staff. Um, I, I, I talked to a, a, a staff member in Gregory Portland ISD, a teacher, um, phenomenal chemistry teacher. And um, she's, she has a huge classroom that has recently expanded because they've taken on kids from other districts. Um, and all of her classrooms are yep. huge. She's also, a, she's also a coach. And then every night she goes home and she's tearing out drywall and insulation. Um, and, you know, you think about the... You know our teachers come to school every day um, motivated by the fact that they want the best for children they have you know we're blessed to have people with love in their hearts and thats that 's the the entire vocation that 's the entire profession and yet they they 've got needs at home that have got to be taken care of um, that in for some cases you know people have lost some family members, people have lost everything they own um, this is This is a challenge that we haven't faced before. And, and, and,
0: and, uh, Commissioner, it's not something that's going to be fixed overnight. It's going to have a long tail. Is it not the consequences of this?
1: You know, I saw um, there are still Sandy-related hotline calls coming in each month to New York City um, Hall today. 2012. 2012. Right. So um, the, now the governor has been on this and has marshaled the resources of every state agency in ways that has not happened before, um, has gotten commitments from FEMA and from our own um, sort of state version of FEMA TDM for procurement um, support that has never happened before and is committed to, to um, uh, responding to the storm more quickly than has ever happened before. And we're already seeing evidence that 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 commitment is paying off, certainly um, what we're trying to do in TEA to be
0: responsive. Have Um, you been able, Commissioner, to quantify the economic piece of this, what the dollar amount necessary to address all this? I was alarmed, I can't say entirely surprised, but alarmed a couple of weeks ago, not long after the storm, when Richard Carranza, the superintendent of Houston ISD, put the estimate of the financial... Hit to just HISD to be seven hundred million dollars, just HISD. Yeah, that's one district. That's obviously a disproportionately large district in a disproportionately hard-hit area. But you're talking about what for the entire affected portion of the state? Yeah, we have um, estimate.
1: I mean, there are uh, at, at our last count, and these counts are um, subject to change. But there were 52 catastrophically damaged campuses in Texas. Um, uh, there are another 200 change severely damaged, another 600. Um, and ballpark um, uh, minimally damaged. The the uh, and then then the, the rest. There's probably 2,500 campuses in the affected region. Yep. The um, so the rebuild costs related to those campuses. We haven't talked about other school district facilities, right? There's athletic content, um, uh, yep. you know, complexes that sort of thing. We're focused just on the campuses where the, the kids spend the majority of their time. So um, you know there's huge rebuild costs. Um, then. Um, then there are other ancillary costs. Um, you know, we 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 have not. Um, I certainly have not lost um, sight on the fact that most of our um, you know our, our public schools are financed through local property tax collections. Um, property tax payers are going to be paying that starting, say, November to January. Um, uh, there could be significant declines in those collections. In uh, there's, case, no, there's no question that there will the, be the state share. Right. Um, state funding will have to significantly. So can can you
0: ballpark it? I mean, do you have any sense at all of what the total cost is going to be? Uh,
1: uh, we we have ranges at best based upon models and estimations. The estimations are based upon assumptions, and the assumptions could be wrong. So, um,
0: um, if I ask you for a number for a third time, are you not going to give me one? Uh, yeah,
1: that's probably true. They, yeah, yeah, but
0: so there is so there is no number that you can say is is established. A, is a Will,
1: we'll, um, the uh, uh, House Appropriations Committee has already announced a hearing in, I can't remember. It's soon. It's yeah, very, very soon. soon. So we're going to be um, right. coming.
0: You, you were out. one of those at the state level, Commissioner, who said you did not think that the state necessarily needed to have a special session to bring everybody back in to vote two-thirds in the House and the Senate to unlock the rainy day fund as a source of. Funds. You uh, thought that we could solve the problem immediately without having to do that. Yeah, so I, I, and I want to be clear. So I,
1: I would never speak for the legislature no. or the governor, but um, just in terms of my knowledge of uh, the law and what the law allows for the foundation school program, the, the, the Texas Education Agency is empowered um, uh, with some fairly extraordinary uh, powers in times of emergency and can effectively take money from the second half of
0: the biennium and spend it in the first half of the biennium for disaster remediation creating a hole in the second half that's which would right. then be filled in at the beginning of the next session so for some a, kind of supplemental a, appropriation that would probably come from the rainy day fund That's yeah that's uh, and there is a,
1: always a supplemental appropriation right. passed at the beginning It's going to be bigger
0: than well in fact there was presuming we were presuming that there was going to be one anyway before this we now feel like it's a certainty that there will be a pretty big one coming up upon us. A supplemental appropriation? Yes. Yeah, I,
1: I couldn't speak to what the supplemental appropriation might have been for public ed beforehand, but with Harvey related it's going to be pretty big. It's a, it's, a, it's a noticeable number.
0: Right, so it's going to be spend the rainy day fund now or spend the rainy day fund later, but presumably we're going to be tapping into that at some point. As a funding source, I think many members of the legislature are looking at that. Right. So let me move away from Harvey, although Harvey is obviously, as I said, the frame around every conversation we have, and ask you uh, now twenty, almost twenty-one months in the job. I mean, clearly it it is. Well, it's it's it's, uh, it is. Okay. Uh, Harvey is not something you could have predicted, nothing you can anticipate, and again, like there's no break glass in case of emergency, no playbook for that. But generally speaking, is this the job you thought you were taking? Uh, <laughs> you know what Dallas is nice this time of year you could, be, you could be back on the DISD board minding everybody else you know just, just do your thing uh,
1: generally speaking it, it, it is roughly the job that I was anticipating yes um, obviously you can't anticipate um, something like Harvey no. um, which has actually become all consuming in the last month um, so there's sort of the normal right. role, and then there's Harvey-related triage support, Yeah, um, sort of doubling the...
0: Well, you know, order. public education is issue number one for every legislative session and every legislature. Everybody's affected by the decisions made by that legislature on public ed. Public ed affects everybody's lives, whether they have kids in school or not. And as you know, Commissioner, every session, but particularly this session, there are th- at least three, I'm not going to say three, but at least three big issues on the minds of everybody in the state. School finance, school choice, and accountability. They seem to be things that we fight about, talk about, discuss, debate every time. This legislature did not act at all on finance or choice to the degree that some in that building wanted. Do you have a, a point of view about those issues, either one or, or, or both? Either about school finance or school choice. When I interviewed you in, in January of last year, when you just took the job, I tried to get you to show your hand on school finance and school choice, because I know that when you were on the DISD board, you absolutely had a point of view about those subjects, and once you were under the cover of that job, you said, yeah, I can't talk about it. Are you still unable or unwilling to talk about those issues as commissioner of education?
1: Well, it's, I mean, the, one of my duties as commissioner of education is to execute the school finance system. The legislature sets the stage yeah. of the school finance system, so I pass out the money they, the way they tell me to pass it. So whatever out. they
0: do, you just pass um, it, and that's it. And that, you know, do I have a view on... Um, right. I mean, you can say it sucks if you want to. I mean, you could say that we're not spending enough money on public education, or you could say we're spending too much on it. You could offer a point of view.
1: Well, so there's, you know, there's a huge number of data points. I, I think that there are certain practices in our schools that have been demonstrated to yield better results for kids, and those practices, um, to the extent that we can create financial incentives so that those yep. happen more often, that's wise public policy. Now we're getting somewhere. Um, Be specific. I, I also think that if you look at sort of aggregate funding levels... Yeah. Um, you know nobody works for free, so I think it's foolishness to say that you know money doesn't matter because um, school board members work for free, but everybody else in the system gets paid right the,
0: um, the best wishes of the state of Texas don't pay a teacher's light bill that that's right
1: so right. the, the um, um, but I also know that um, there it, it, the decisions that you make the operational decisions that you make matter a great deal if you look at uh, disaggregated student performance on the NAEP. So that's a mouthful. But so the, um, the in English for the crowds. So the Nation's Report Card. There's a set. There's a common framework to analyze performance in fourth grade and eighth grade in every state in the country. And they look at your overall performance, but they also look at the performance of specific groups. So how do our white kids compare to other, other states' white kids? How do our rich kids compare to other states' rich kids? How do our black kids compare, et cetera? Yes. So um, New York, um, a great example of this. Um, in, looking in reading and math, fourth and eighth grade, at every single subgroup, um, we beat New York in almost every single um, subgroup. Our students are doing better than students in New York on an apples-to-apples basis, almost across the board. There's a few exceptions. Um, uh, and New York uh, spending in public education is roughly twice what it is in Texas.
0: Um, Giving the lie to the idea often stated that more money equals better performance. So uh,
1: what it it does is it just means that this topic is complex because there are policy decisions we've made in Texas that are different than policy decisions that are made in New York. How do you untangle causality? Um, on this, um, you know, we generally don't run random control trial experiments on children in public education, so it is difficult to tease out causality um, in certain public policy decisions. So, like, the, the simple fact is our business is unlike any business. We, we take little bundles of energy that are three, four, five years old, and in 15 years try to turn them into self-aware members of the republic. What other enterprise looks anything like this and right. deals with that kind of complexity, that kind of life cycle, um, the issues that are involved in everything that is affected by the human condition? So it's, it's the reason I don't give you a straight answer is because there is no straight answer. But Any, did, Anybody yeah. that tells you that this is the solution, that this is what has to happen, they, they, they haven't spent a, a week in a teacher's
0: but, but you said, Commissioner, that there were certain aspects of the way school operations go that have been proven to be more successful at helping kids, and that somehow gives you a clue as to where we might go on the finance piece, right? Sure. I mean, that, so can you give an example of something that you're particularly interested in that in turn may tie back to what we should or should not be spending? Something that you have seen that is working or is a hopeful sign for public education in Texas?
1: Well, so we, you know... Uh if you, um, if you are able to um, provide um, the highest quality instruction, the highest quality instructors to the students who are most at need, that has been consistently demonstrated to work for those students. So places where, that have created these kinds of financial incentives to concentrate that kind of talent. Right. That, that works. We know it works. Um, the, um, and, and, and,
0: and the shorthand of that is let's get the absolute best teachers we have and put them on the hardest to educate kids or the kids who need the best teachers the most.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, sh- the shorthand belies the complexity of it, because how do you distinguish? Right. Um, uh, and, um, and, and you can't force people to work um, in places. No, but I as you
0: want. said, you can create incentives.
1: Yeah. So, um, anyways, that, that seems like a um, a wise uh, a choice for for. Well, and in
0: education. fact, you, you have uh, on your website, and I, we've talked about this before, so I know this to be the case, that you articulate four goals for the agency and for yourself as commissioner. And the first of those is recruiting, supporting, and retaining teachers and principals. Personnel matters.
1: We know without question that the teacher in the classroom is the most important in-school factor that affects the outcomes of our students. And what we do to love on those who love on our kids is of paramount importance. Um, The, the
0: The jerky question from the press in response to that would be, if that's the case, and if you believe that budgets are moral documents and they tell you about your priorities, do we live those words through the way that we appropriate on public education? If we think that teachers and personnel generally are so important, do we do enough to demonstrate that as an appropriator?
1: Well, let's, let's – you know, we have a, we have a system – um, we have our own little mini-federalism, right? The legislature does something, and then local school boards do things. There's a lot of a sort of division of authority. And so money is generally passed to local school boards, and they could um, allocate more money to certain campuses and higher, higher teacher salaries to certain campuses. And, and, in other
0: words, local control.
1: Um, and, and, uh, or they can choose not to do that. So in Dallas, before I left, we chose to do that. Right. Um, in fact, we cho- chose to create a, a pathway so that our highest-performing teachers could get paid um, six figures. Yeah. I think that that's absolute necessity in public education. Um,
0: but, but you understand, uh, Commissioner, that one of the challenges within the realm of school finance these days is that the state has taken on an, a decreasing share of responsibility for funding public education, and property taxpayers and local communities are taking on an increasing share.
1: That's, a, that's really a tax policy question, because what, what you're talking about is method of finance. Right. When, I was at, was I, when I was on the board in Dallas, I spent all the money we got. I didn't care where the money came from. Okay. Um, and so what you're now saying is, should we fund schools with sales tax? Should we fund schools with excise tax? Should we fund them with property taxes, and to what extent? That's um, because... It's it, immaterial it, to you. Um, because we we pass out every bit of money that um, we're allocated to pass out, and that goes those go to local schools, right. and they spend it. I guess
0: I'm asking you, generally speaking, as a matter of principle, do you think the state should be taking on more rather than less of a responsibility for funding public education?
1: I mean, it, again, it's a, it's a, that's a... Fundamentally, that is a tax policy question.
0: And not one that's in your purview. Yeah, right. Right. Um, what about the idea of school choice? This has come up time and again. I no doubt it will come up again and again in future sessions. We have to be reminded or point out to people it's a continuum. School choice to you may not mean the same thing as school choice to me. School choice can be, I'm a parent of a kid in a public school. I'm unhappy with that school. I want to move my kid to a different public school in the same district. That's a form of choice. Right. And then the continuum extends all the way out to vouchers. A lot of stops along the way. You have a point of view about school choice. I'd, I'd probably add one on the other end of your spectrum. Okay. I can move. I can buy a
1: house in a different Physically
0: move. Yeah. I, I want to come back to an anecdote. We'll come to this in a, I want to come back to an anecdote that I reminded me when we that's, talked. Yeah.
1: That's exactly how we exercise so it in my family. Your
0: family was in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And you uh, wanted. Virginia. Pro- West. Virginia, yeah. pardon me. Virginia. And you wanted. And we were like
1: 100 yards from the border. So, so I, I was like. Yeah. <laughs>
0: From the press's perspective, it wouldn't warrant a correction. That was within the margin of error. Okay. so (laughs) In the Appalachian Mountains. PolitiFact would rate that mostly true. So, all right. Um, You're going to move to Texas, and your mother calls TEA before you move to Texas, as the story goes, to ask, where should we move? Because I want my kid to go to a really good school. And calls and doesn't get a response, and calls and doesn't get a response, and calls multiple times and finally gets a sympathetic ear at TEA, and the person says, Garland.
1: Go to Garland. They right. just created a... Um, uh, this was a
0: How very, And you were how old at the time?
1: Uh, I was um, 10, 9, right. 9.
0: So your mother exercised her choice to move to a community that had, a based on what that, she was told, a better school.
1: Yeah, a school that... Um, that's a form of school choice. Her isn't it? little boy was going to get a great education, and so she was told. Yeah, that, that's got, a form of school choice. And I, and I, I really did. I benefited from, from the best public school that you could, uh, have public schooling that you could get. I, my high school that I went to, um, I got a full international baccalaureate diploma, which was relatively rare back then, still fairly rare. I got came out of high school with thirty six hours of college credit, which was unheard of back then. Um, it's, it's now a little bit more normal. I, I was in one of five i 've subsequently looked this up and learned this because you 're not exactly studying education policy at, at the age of nine the um, I was in one of five public high schools in Texas that had three years of computer science at the time at the time Wow. Um, and so you were lucky um, so i uh, I was extraordinarily lucky right, right. Um, absolutely yeah. and uh, and and how does that how does that happen that's you know the you got a number of parents that are exercising that degree of school choice because right. um, they have the the uh, wherewithal to do so
0: so where is the Marath preferred point along the continuum of school choice again you were at DISD you were known to be somebody who was a disruptor in your thinking um, so you like the throw- other term you, uh, other people would use that term but yes okay well but no <laughs> but, is it, but is it not true that you were i mean your brand the Marath brand as a DISD trustee was he's the guy who thinks out of the box okay so think out of the box for us what should the proper way for the state to be on that continuum be where well, should we I mean, be
1: what I, what I would like ideally is I'd like to have every kid in Texas have the same opportunities that I have I have had in, in our schools what would that entail um, it, uh, well I mean that's a that's a great question
0: we what have time it. for you to answer it <laughs> this isn't TV news buddy we got a little bit of time here so go ahead what would it take? What would it take? I mean, I, li- I like the, your aspirational answer. What would it take?
1: How do you, how do you replicate the kind, of, um, uh, the kind of environment that I was able to be exposed to in my public school environment? Um, the, the nature of the, the curriculum, the nature of the course offerings, the physical capital in those schools, the human capital in those schools. Um, uh, it's extraordinarily difficult to replicate that. Um, yep. But I, I can tell you it does take resources.
0: Does it take resources from the state to parents, or does it take resources from the state to public education? I'm just going to keep asking this different ways and see if we get somewhere. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you think that we need to look outside the traditional realm of funding public education, where we just spend more money on public education, or look for ways that we can stretch the dollar?
1: We, we have about five... We have- 5.3 million souls in public education. There's not going to be one answer to that question.
0: It's it's both and not either or. Yeah. I think Were so. you sympathetic to the discussion during this session that we needed to go to a scholarship, pro- you know, some sort of scholarship program, either funded by business or others, or some kind of a pilot to allow for special needs students to have choice outside the traditional options? Were you sympathetic to that?
1: Yeah, I think we, um, we at TEA, we, we generally need to do um, a great deal more to support our um, special needs students
0: across the board. Okay. Um, on accountability, this is a tough topic. I feel like I've been in, I've been in Texas 26 years. I feel like there have been 26 different ways of rating the public schools in the time I've been here. And it's always this is the answer, and then it's no, we have to actually go back and, and redo it. Are you happy with the way you're rating the public schools now? Do you think TEA is doing a good job? Are you happy with the regimen of accountability measures, ratings, the method of deciding who's good and who's bad now?
1: Um, I, I always think we can improve. Um, okay. uh, so let me start there. Um, I also recall, again, my time on the board uh, in dallas essentially my chief responsibility as a board member is to ensure that our schools are improving for students right and so how do i create a mechanism to find out whether that's true um, how do i know whether the school is getting better do i have a it, you know this is a weird thing if you if you're ever in private enterprise this is actually a pretty easy question to answer earnings per share um, right uh, the uh and so do we have a way of looking at schools so that we can On a summative basis, say that this school was slightly better, the same, slightly worse than it was last year in terms of its ability to serve students. Right. Um, The
0: A through F ratings, which were implemented, were not perfect. We we haven't implemented. Well, but you know, but the 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 plan to implement, I should say. I mean, this is not a perfect. It's already you're already getting pushback. You've been getting pushback, right? From the, what, what do you think about it? I mean, never mind what people say out in the world. So, what do you think?
1: Yeah, so where I was headed with that is I, I, I valued as a board member a tiered um, um, evaluation system, meaning something that could distinguish from average, from good, from great, yeah. from needs improvement, from needs a lot of improvement, something that could help um, help determine whether or not we're going in the right direction for kids or not. Um, that continuous improvement mindset and the need for tools to support a continuous improvement process are important. Um, so I like the idea of a tiered accountability system. I think it's, um, um, it's helpful. The different question is, what do you call those tiers? Because um, uh, there's a decent amount of emotionalism that that's, um, can, can um, manifest in that. Are you
0: sympathetic to the uh, complaint from principals or from parents that if you give a campus a c in some metric some way to measure the performance that all that's going to do is create misery within the community somehow that the school's not doing a good job it's going to lower morale it's going to make it harder to to achieve excellence i mean that you've heard this i know i'm I'm not saying something you haven't yeah i mean when
1: when you have public labels of performance it creates public communication challenges and yet
0: you still think it's a good idea
1: uh, the, uh, what I haven't been able to get my mind around in a democratically controlled system of schools, where the public is financing the schools, the public is clearly entitled to some information about the performance of those schools. Yeah. Um, and so, how do you how do you ensure that you are meeting the needs of your of your republic, um, meeting the needs of your parents, while also supporting? Um, a, um, a culture in the schools that supports innovation and risk-taking and, and the, the kind of work that we need to do to, to support our students. It's a difficult balancing act.
0: I, uh, I asked you about the legislature, and you said, I think correctly and helpfully, we're in business essentially to execute upon the will of, of the legislature. When we were together in El Paso in January of last year, I asked you who you worked for. And I meant, did you work for the people of the state? or did you work for the governor as an appointee of the governor's, and therefore was the agenda that you carried our agenda, or was it the governor's agenda? I hear you talk about executing upon the legislature's act. I wonder if you work for that. Can you help us understand, like, the agenda that you come to work every day, communicate to your many employees at TEA, the work that you do is emanating from where and from whom?
1: Um... It's a complicated question. The short answer is um, I exist solely to help improve the lives of 5.3 million students. Right. Like that's, that's what I get up every day thinking about. That's what we try to drive um, our work towards um, at TEA. Um, however, you know, this is a system of laws. TEA is, in fact, the creation of the legislature. Right. Um,
0: are you insulated uh, from politics?
1: Um, are you?
0: <laughs> I'm not being paid by the uh, public.
1: Uh, that's a fair, fair point. So um, the, 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 I don't think that anybody in a public position is, is fully insulated, but we, I have not felt any pressure not to do what I think is the right thing for
0: kids. That's what I'm getting at. So yeah. if there's a political fight, whether it's within parties or between, among parties, over some of these issues, school choice, school finance, you don't feel brought into that fight. No, you it, you do fact, your thing, and then you let them fight over here, and that doesn't make a
1: difference. Yeah, and one of the roles that I have is actually to try to provide unbiased information to policymakers. Um, and so the, you know, given the data that we have on um, right. what we know... The information that I receive from teachers in the field, like the I have to be that information conduit to members of the legislature uh, to to try to help inform um, their deliberations as much as possible because
0: obviously there are issues that are directly public ed issues and then there are other issues that become public ed issues or at least don't start out that way or appear that way, but then they ultimately are and I would use the example of the bathroom legislation were you as as a as the commissioner of education or was the TEA, as the agency responsible for all these kids, brought in on that fight? We have had, we have had no involvement or conversation. That's probably, that. you, that's just as well, right? You just would rather be away from that as far as possible. Uh, I can just report that we've had no involvement. On okay. That. <laughs> you sort of answered my question without answering it. That's good. Um, I, I'm, I'm concerned, Commissioner, and I think a lot of people in the state are concerned about the future, right? We're all worried about what's going to happen in, in Texas in the future. Past Harvey, looking past Harvey to the future of Texas. The state's population is going to double between now and 2050. We're just under 28 million Texans. We're going to have 54 million Texans by 2050, 33 years from now. Do we have adequate public education infrastructure in place to accommodate that growth? Um,
1: In terms of number of schools, in terms of... You're adding 82,000
0: kids to the public education system a year right now?
1: Uh, it's a little less than that. But less. It's been it's been at that clip. Uh, Roughly, it's, it's tailed off in the last couple of years.
0: Knowing what's coming with regard to population growth, if the demographers if demographers are, demographers yeah, the, are the correct, thing that, the
1: thing that keeps me up at night, yeah. about this is what we are doing to um, recruit, support, retain teachers and principals. That's the part that concerns. That's you. the part that concerns me because right. you know the buildings don't teach kids, the books don't themselves teach kids. It is the it is the <laughs> it is the teacher in the classroom. It is this. The people in the school that create a culture of high expectations and a culture of achievement that that executes the
0: the extraordinarily difficult job that is teaching um, and if and, you know then commissioner that that 's your priority if the population is going to double let 's stipulate that 's the priority. What do you need that you don 't have at your disposal to make what you need to happen happen
1: uh, it's the, the, the question is is, is have we um, um, we at TEA have, have some resources to, to um, address this. It's, in fact, part of our strategic plan. It's not the number one priority in our strategic plan of an um, entire suite of initiatives with funding from both state and federal sources that are used to attack this, um, this issue head-on. But um, I, I still come back to um, starting teacher pay is, not, is really not that bad. Um, uh, in the big population centers we're up to the high 40s uh, or 50s for folks who have a bachelor's degree coming right out of college. And then 10 years later, you're, you, if you started at 50, you're now at $55,000 a year. And I have not been able to, to, um, to figure out how we ensure that we have a vibrant future teaching profession um, if we have not figured out how to attack compensation so that these professionals who are of the highest caliber, who, uh, that require the highest degree of cognitive skill, that require a degree of energy that is sort of unbounded, um, and in fact are motivated by a sense of love, that we are recruiting and retaining them in this profession when there are so many other professions that can pay them more um, uh, given their skill set. Um, and, uh, and I, that, I think, does require some serious attention um, if we're going to double the size of our state um, uh, over, the, over the coming years and ensure that we continue to deliver effective educational outcomes yep. to all of our kids. Got to
0: attack that. So the second thing that I want to ask you about is urbanization. You know, this idea that is quaint and is really antiquated, honestly, that Texas is a rural state or a ranching state or an ag state, The reality is that Texas now has three of the 10 and six of the 20 largest cities in the country, more than any other state. Texas is an urban state. Are we situated from a public education policy standpoint like an urban state? Are there issues that you see on the horizon, because that urbanization is only going to increase, not decrease, over time? Are there issues you see on the horizon that concern you that we need to work on as it relates to being an urban state, and therefore the public education system has to be bent in the direction of... Urban public ed. So I still
1: I still come back to the issue of um, recruiting, supporting, te- and, and it's, it's si- teachers. Similar and or same because response. Um, you know, I I can't forget the fact that I was I you know I grew up in a small town in an old coal mine in town in the Appalachian Mountains. We had th- uh, 130 kids in my school. We had 600 kids in the in the, or 600 people in the, our town. Um, and um, when I travel the state, the, the canaries in the coal mine, the people who are screaming the loudest about the need, for, um, the need for teachers, need to figure out how to retain them, need to figure out how to support them better and, and recruit them, they are schools of high poverty in our urban centers, and they are rural schools, and they are sque- screaming equally loud, and they face equal challenges.
0: Um, but the difference is that the population of one is growing and the population of the other is Is not and and we have and we have huge needs to to um,
1: grow the pipeline into the profession Um, and and we have huge sort of equity needs to ensure that that um, pipeline can service all of our students Um, uh, I don't I don't see I don't see any major public policy question about this urban versus rural uh, dichotomy that um, I think negatively affects us that we we have an equal need yeah. Um, for, uh, for teaching talent um, and, to, and to improve the support of our existing teaching force.
0: Um, okay, so let's see if, if teachers are the answer to the third thing, and that's demographic inevitability. We know where the population is headed from a demographics point in Texas. One of the things you said to me, again, back in January of last year when we sat together, you were just brand new to the job. This is the quote. The future of the state is delivering great results for black and brown kids. You said that coming in the door. You knew that the future of this state was going to be less Anglo, and that the challenge for the public education system is to address this demographic inevitability head-on. How have you done so far at that? And given what you know about where we're headed, what are you prepared to do to meet it head-on? So, as you correctly anticipated, a huge portion
1: of the challenge is, is again, back to what we do to recruit, support, retain teachers and principals, um, that... Um, are are properly trained are properly recruited from the same communities um, uh, effectively recruited and um, and then hold all of our students regardless of uh, of where they come from to similarly high expectations yeah. um, uh, but you know there 's uh, other issues um, let 's sort of move past black and brown for a moment and just talk poor and not poor we have roughly sixty percent of the kids in the state of Texas are eligible for a free or reduced lunch
0: um, that 's before. And that's today, that's not 2040 or 2050. That's, that's right, that's today. Right. That's right. Uh, and yeah. that's
1: before Hurricane Harvey also just created right. a huge surge in students who would be classified as homeless. Um, so, the, um, this question of how do we, how do we create um, a system of public education that can consistently deliver high quality results, even from students who um, lack the resources that, you know, a, a mom that calls TEA nine times um, uh, and can, can choose to move where they want to. Yep. Um, uh, what do we do about that? Um, we, we have some evidence of some stuff that actually seems to work quite well. Uh, we, we, um, I commissioned a longitudinal study um, in, uh, of TEA data uh, going back to 1999 of a cohort of students who um, participated in pre-K in Texas public schools. Um, and in order to participate in pre-K, you have to be eligible. So the eligibility criteria is you already have to have be, either be low income or there's a few other. Right. Um, so we're talking only the students who are eligible. If they participated in pre-K um, in 1999, they are, they are persisting through college at roughly a 6.8% higher rate than the students who did not participate in pre-K right. in 1999. Um, we know that that works, um, uh, that, this, that the Texas commitment to pre-K has already borne fruit. So this is something that I think we, we need yep. to be cognizant of moving forward.
0: But there continues to be, Commissioner, as you know, a gap between Anglo students and non-Anglo students as they make their way through the pipeline from public education into higher ed. We've studied and, and presented data on the eighth grade cohorts from uh, kids who enter the Texas public schools, roughly 300,000 in the eighth grade, tracked them all the way through high school six years past to see how many have achieved some kind of higher ed completion. It's basically one in five. It's gotten to be a little bit better year over year the last couple of years, but it's it's also, in essence, not getting that much better. But the Anglo students significantly outperform the African American and Hispanic students, although to your point, I will stipulate that socioeconomic status, regardless of race, is significantly worse uh, overall. What what do you do about that? Because college readiness is really in your lap. Graduation is not in your lap. That's in Ray Paredes's lap or the coordinating board's lap or the laps of higher ed generally. But the college readiness, the prep piece is in your lap. What do you do about
1: that? Uh, Well, we have adopted a strategic plan with four major planks. Number one is what we do to improve our ability to recruit, support, retain teachers and principals. Number two is what do we do to um, ensure that the system as a whole is creating and establishing strong foundations in the early grades and the early years in reading and mathematics? Because... It is much easier to address the achievement gap if you never let it start in the first place. Um, The sort of third key priority that we have um, looks at the other end of the continuum, um, this this question of relevance and rigor in high school, what we do to to connect high school to both career and college um, for as many of our um, kids as possible. Um, And then last but not least, our fourth key priority, what, what can we do to sort of wrap our arms around our most struggling campuses to improve... Um, our lowest performing campuses and and do it as aggressively, as thoughtfully as possible in ways that um, will, will change the trajectory of those schools and the kids that are in them.
0: And you telegraphed on that last point that that would be a focus when you came in the job. You said, I think with the high performing schools, we're going to pretty much stand back. TEA doesn't need to be messing in that. We're going to turn our focus to the low-performing schools and get involved where we think we need to do that. What we would like to do um, and what we've
1: begun moving to try to do is actually create incentives for the high-performing schools to replicate um, uh, as much as possible. Here in Austin, there's a little elementary school not too far from here, Blackshear Elementary. Um, it um, It is a radically awesome little school. Um, I've toured a few times. That, um,
0: uh, what, the, what about it makes it work? There are so it many things, awesome?
1: but it's got... Yeah. Um, actually, she may not be at Blackshear anymore, but it they had a phenomenal principal, had um, um, faculty that um, sort of collaboratively create the very rigorous curriculum, sort of think about sprinkling a little special sauce, um, uh, extremely engaged in the community, so they view the, the, the school as sort of the hub um, of the community. They have, a, they have a, a special focus on the arts. This is not like a test-in. This is a walk-in, and it's 95% poor yep. um, school, and um, yeah, it, is, it is an A. Uh, we, we don't have an A through F system yet, but it is a, a, an outstanding elementary school. Can we create mechanisms? Can we create financial incentives to help that, that uh, campus sort of document everything that they did, you know, standard operating procedures, then recruit a new um, uh, sort of next leadership team to come in, train under them um, at Blackshear, and then go down the street and launch Blackshear number two. Um, uh, Can we do that? So, um, you know, so part of this process of improving um, our system as a whole is making sure that we don't let fantastic schools end up just serving hundreds of kids and instead, encourage
0: those fantastic schools to end up serving tens of thousands of kids by, by rep- replicating, yeah. cloning, in essence. Yeah. Um, we've got we, we, we've got about oh, one second. We've got about 15 minutes left. We have a microphone here. I'm not going to shut you down. I want you to have the opportunity to ask questions. But please come up to the microphone for the benefit of the group. We will take as many questions as time permit. I will apologize in advance for 5:25 being our hard out, in part because we have a reception over at the. AT&T Courtyard, and I know a number of you have been here all day and are thirsty, so ma'am.
1: Hi, my name is Christine Brogel. I'm with the Texans for Special Education Reform. Um, I thank you for your shout out to us saying that the
0: special needs community is underserved. Um, given the um, plans that you have for, under ESSA and through the 60-30, um, for
1: students with disabilities, closing that achievement gap, what is your plan? That's going to require coordination between not just the special education community, but the general education community, the administrators, district, everybody
0: has to be involved, given the rate of inclusion that we have in Texas. So what is your plan to make sure that we do have that coordination and that it's not just a special education problem?
1: Commissioner, what do you say? So um, we have uh, substantially increased the size of our um, organization unit devoted to these issues. I think we've grown by roughly 40 in terms of the um, student, or the employees that work for me that are focused on improving special education supports. Part of that has been a um, huge, hugely um, broad effort at in, um, inclusion at designing um, our, sort of our broad strategic initiatives. Um, to improve support at the local school district level through our regional service centers in coordination with partnership res- resources. I don't know, were you involved in our recent sort of journey mapping conversations and those sorts of things? No, sir, I wasn't, but I would love to be. Um, uh, if you can, why don't you give me your card um, yes, after this? Because those meetings are happening on an ongoing basis right now. I've got um, um, a text on my phone related updates on those, and I'd like to um, have you uh, be a part of that.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank I'd you.
1: you. We'll jump to the back,
0: back to the front, back and so on. Uh, Ma'am.
1: Thank you. I'm concerned about writing, how our children are learning how to so write. Did you get writing? Writing?
0: W R I T, writing, yes. yes.
1: In okay. the state of Texas, right now they're being taught to write 26 lines to pass the START exam, a meaningless test that has no relevance in the real world. So, like, you take Hemingway, who probably could have said much in six lines, Victor Hugo, who could have spent 26 lines just to write one sentence, both of them would. Would fail the STAR test. So, this is ruining creativity and it's making us teach a false standard as well, far as. What's,
0: what's your question? She won't My question ch- change is, change our what, writing what, exam. What do you do about that? Yeah. As, yeah.
1: So, as, we're, as, we're changing the short answer is we're changing the writing exam. So, there's a pilot ongoing right now. Um, uh, I'm not sure that it's happening in the Austin area, so there's a few regions. Um, related to um, uh, what will be the next version of the writing exam that the state administers it 's about a three year process we're um, uh, just beginning just beginning year two i think um, of that process so we're in in process on that
0: you accept but, that it needs revision uh,
1: the writing exam i, I do I, I, one thing i 'll comment on uh, is the nature of star itself so um, there are people who have told me repeatedly that the star is meaningless. Um, I have actually looked at this question. Um, those people are wrong. Um, it's, not, it's not the end-all be-all of life. That I, I, I certainly recognize. What it does is it assesses grade-level knowledge in reading and math. Our evidence shows that students who meet or master grade-level on the star by the time they graduate high school have a 60% or better chance of passing freshman-level college classes. That is not the same thing as being a meaningless exam. So there is some meaning to it.
0: You understand that, that that that's a controversial position in and of itself. The commissioner of education is saying the star test is not meaningless these days is worthy of a headline. Right?
1: I, I can't comment on that. But I, I can just tell you that, that Again, the, mostly the, 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 the star tests, um, uh, I've spent 21 months studying this. I, that I... Part and, of the job, I and, you, and you are convinced that you are in the right on this. That
0: it is, that it is not. Well, because
1: we we know, like we can actually see what happens to the kids. Um, so there's very strong evidence uh, that um, it is very far from meaningless. Now, that's not the same thing that is the end all be all of life. Like what it does is it measures reading and math. Like it doesn't measure how hard a kid works. It doesn't matter um, how fast they can run a mile. It doesn't matter uh, what kind of the content of their character. It doesn't matter their s- skills in fine arts. It's it's limited. It does what it's designed to do, which is to measure grade-level competency in reading and mathematics. Yep. Um, it's highly predictive of then their level of preparation for what comes next, and that's the next grade, and then when you get into high school, college.
0: it, ma'am. Um, so you've
1: mentioned several times. Uh, my name is Megan Doherty. I, I, I'm an educator in Round Rock School District. And you've mentioned several times that we need to create systems to recruit and retain quality teachers and principals. And I was just at a session previously with the um, legislators who were talking about school financing. And it's like, a, it's like a big brick wall. And I know from looking at AISD, from looking at Round Rock ISD, we're, we're hurting this year for money. Um, and I would agree that the need to recruit... Um, quality teachers is paramount but how do you do that given the current financial situation facing Texas? the uh so it's the last part of your question sort of belies a specific answer to it which is compensation matters um and i'm the first to say that compensation matters um uh that what you know we've got a how can we get to a place where you get sort of 17-year-old hot shots and you say you know you're you're pretty sharp you should consider a career in engineering because i don't think you're quite cut out to be a teacher right how do we get it to a situation where there's this broad recognition in our society that 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 teachers are professionals of the highest order, that they are um, capable of doing anything because the teachers that I know are capable of doing anything that they wanted to do, Um, and that this cliche that we have that those who can do, those who can't teach, that this is a fundamentally toxic, broken view of the profession. And so what do we do to change the uh, dialogue so that when we talk to our 17-year-old hotshots all over the state... A big number of them want to be teachers. So I think compensation is part of it. Part of it is working conditions. Part of it is simply asking them, like talking to them. Um, uh, you know, if we're going to pull you aside and have career day and a bunch of lawyers show up, let's actually have some teachers talk to them about being teachers as well. So there's a, there's a bunch of things that we need to do um, to affect our ability to recruit into the profession and also retain. These are all interconnected. Working conditions, compensation, compensation. The general public esteem of the profession. We gotta stop blaming teachers for all of our problems in this country. Like, there's a lot of things that we need to do.
0: Sure. Hello, Henry Kakula, nice to meet you today. I'm with 4.0 GPA LLC. And my question is today when you look at neighborhoods in Houston, Sunnyside area, where you have the sixth dangerous neighborhood in the United States, a lot of those schools within that district are IR schools, improvement required. So what is your solution to helping those schools improve when they're in a dangerous neighborhood, they have the support they need with the teachers, and a lot of students in that area are going to prison. What is your solution to helping those students, preventing them from going to prison, but actually becoming successful?
1: So a couple of things. Let me start with um, something I mentioned to you earlier. Nobody has a solution to these these challenges. They're too vexing. There is no silver bullet. There's nothing magic that we can do. Um, it's going to it's uh, it's very difficult to solve these challenges. Do you you got to have um, uh, supports in place to address the sort of emotional needs the you got kids that are walking in in an environment like that that are effectively suffering from PTSD and how can you provide support um, for that? How can you ensure that the um, that the that the amount of instruction that they get can address instructional gaps that have had that they have encountered um, before. So what do you do in the summer? What do you do in after school um, to support them? The, um, the nature of the curriculum, the, um, and then ensuring that we have put the, our best and brightest in those uh, buildings to, to love on those kids. I mean, it's, these are all parts yep. of the
0: solution. Thank you. Ma'am. My name is Lisa Stevens, and I'm an educator also. And I was wondering your opinion on testing practices for special education students. When special ed students are given IEPs and they have modified curriculum, and they're, but they're tested on the STAR for all of the curriculum, they're given accommodations, but those accommodations don't change the content. And yep. the district is penalized through accountability for these students who, by law, were not supposed to receive that content in the first place.
1: So the, um, there's no good answer to this question. I've been asked this question a lot, and I don't have a good answer for you. Um, the, uh, the feds denied us the ability to do a modified assessment several years ago um, uh, so that was a, um, a cause in a um, uh, uh, shift in policy in the state of Texas um, uh, I clearly think you need to have aligned assessments uh, assessments that are aligned with instruction I don't know how, how teaching can happen if you can't f- progress monitor your kids and so if you're given an assessment that's t- totally misaligned with what you're doing instructionally, it doesn't, doesn't help anybody. So um, we're trying to fix this. We, Like I mentioned before, we have this very large sort of special education working group that's actually, this is one of the streams of work that's mm-hmm. associated with it. Yeah. Um would love your feedback uh, and participation as part of those efforts.
0: Great. Ma'am. Hi.
1: I'm Julianne Hart. I am a... Uh public pre-k teacher here in
0: AISD in the dual language program. I'm a
1: public pre-k parent in DISD in the dual, or in Austin ISD in the dual language. She's been in for four weeks now. She's coming home speaking Spanish already. It's amazing. That's awesome. She didn't learn her from me. Um. (laughs)
0: Um, This was brought up earlier by another educator, but you spoke uh, more
1: in glittering generalities about what you what you think society needs to do to recruit and retain excellent educators, and I was hoping that you could be more specific because you said it's one of your big four things that you're trying to do
0: in your position. And so I was wondering, like, what are some specific things that? TEA sure. Is going uh, so to do? Uh, no, uh, no glittering a... general. I that's I'm going to borrow that. I'm going to. Yeah. That's <laughs> good. So no, so no glittering generalities. Um,
1: so uh, under our strategic uh, uh, initiative, strategic priority number one, recruit, support, retain um, uh, teachers, principals, we have uh, under our recruit um, um, and, uh, area, we have two initiatives that have um, been recently launched, um, one of which we call our Grow Your Own Um, initiative. And the second one is about sort of public esteem. So um, a couple of specific nuggets tied to those. I'll do the second one first. We launched last year I am Texas Ed. I am Tex Ed. It's a hashtag I am Tex Ed. You can search for it now. So what we do is we solicit stories from um, educators around the states um, about, um, and these are not meant to be feel good stories. These are meant to demonstrate the rigor and the difficulty of the profession. Um, and then we publicized the heck out of that to try to um, uh, influence sort of the public narrative about the teaching profession. That's part of our um, sort of that second initiative related to uh, public awareness. The Grow Your Own campaign, uh, we have a whole series of grants in the, um, that are in the docket related to um, uh, uh, getting teachers um, to be able to do dual, um, um, dual credit coursework in high school um, in an education pathway. So I don't know if you're familiar with Taffy. The, uh, the, that's it? So you're familiar with them. Um, the, uh, so we're trying to uh, replicate their chapters around the state of Texas. Um, we're, um, we have, a, as part of our rural schools task force, one of the um, streams of work in our rural school districts is, is literally having... Um, sit-downs with uh, the highest-performing juniors and seniors and talking about the teaching profession for specific recruitment efforts. Anyways, a lot of stuff under grow your own because we've got a bunch of kids sitting in schools right now. They go to school for 13 years. If they don't want to be a teacher um, at the end of that, then um, we need to start looking at our own practices for how to, how to change that uh, behavior. Anyways, those are two specific initiatives um, tied to re-
0: recruitment. I would love to take every question that people have today. It is 525. Perhaps if you have the opportunity to visit quickly with the commissioner afterwards, he might be able to answer something. I don't know what his time is. I do know that our time is up. Please thank the commissioner of education, Mike Morat, for being here. Thank you all for sticking with us all day. Join us at the reception if you like, and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Thanks very much.